All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek, joined by Rich Hoffman. On this week's Sixers Beat, we uh been a couple of weeks since we had Rich on. He has been traveling a little bit, timely travel, as you went on the Memphis-Miami-Orlando road trip before we knew that the Memphis-Miami-Orlando road trip mattered. But welcome back. Happy to be back, man. You got on that last leg, the, uh, the circus that was the uh, Orlando Magic in mid-November. I don't think that <laughs> yeah. I don't think they've had quite that many media for uh for one of those games, but desperate times and uh it uh I, honestly after watching this past uh this week past weekends of games it seems like that media was warranted. Yeah, and I mean it is so there, there obviously a lot of today's podcast is going to be about Jimmy Butler. And how he's played so far and how he impacts everything. Um, it is certainly, there is a, you know, a give a shit about this team that even with the playoff run, you don't normally get a middle of November game that much scrutiny, that much attention. I think NBC Sports said it was the highest rated game since 2001, regular season game since 2001. I don't, you know, that, that seems about right. I don't know what other game would be. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I mean... Maybe like Iverson, Iverson's return to Philly or something, but yeah, not much. Yeah, I was thinking maybe Embiid's debut, but I think that was much more of a momentous moment for a small segment of the fan base, or a relatively small segment of the fan base. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it is it is the most excitement this team has had in a while. It is... Okay, so let's let's start off. Initial impressions of... Orlando's ice cream machine. No, no, no I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Can't let there, that out. Public, that. We, might, <laughs> we might get into that. We'll see. Initial impressions of Jimmy Butler and his overall fit with the Sixers. You, you know, I think it's it's maybe a little cleaner than, than I thought. I, I think a, a lot of people thought as soon as the trade was made, well, this doesn't really help one of their biggest issues, which is shooting. But Butler just takes so much attention, man. And, you know, you, you saw it last night. Obviously, the the two ISOs at the end of the game, that's something the Sixers never do. But I, when they built that lead in the first quarter, I think I tweeted this out and you responded to it. Like, I don't think I've seen J.J. Redick get that easy of, you know, the, the shots he was getting just seemed so effortless. And I think a big part of that reason was because the Hornets' best defender was on Butler. And and in the past, teams would go into Sixers games, game planning for the thing we need to stop. Once we get Ben Simmons stopped in transition in the half court, it is all about the J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid two-man game. Well, now you have to deal with Jimmy Butler. And I, I think that sort of throws, you know, it, it makes it a lot easier for, for Redick to get shots. That's one thing. To just have another ball handler, like, even when they're running their, their continuity offense and they're just running dribble handoffs, like, just having a guy who can take four or five dribbles and kind of pick and choose his way to the basket, they didn't have that. I love Robert Covington. Rich, he came he came off of a pick and roll the other night, drove to the basket, shielded the ball, and made it simple layup, and it was like, Whoa. oh my god, this is a revelation. I didn't know you were allowed to do this in basketball. Yeah. It was like, holy shit. And I will say, like, I love Robert Covington. I don't want to bash him on the way out because he was a really good player for the Sixers, and he netted them a really good player. 
but he can't do that. No. He cannot. I mean, his weakness was dribbling, and yeah, to just have like a patient pick and roll operator is. I mean, it's a game changer, man. So, so that's been great. I, I think defensively, kind of despite Kemba going for sixty freaking points last night, I am. <laughs> by, by the way, they have to be so sick of playing against Kemba Walker. You you said it. It's I think it's seven gay seven of their last forty regular season. Forty. Yep. Oh my god! Like, and, and of course he he gives them the goodbye present of sixty freaking points. Uh, I kind of wrote about it today on on my piece on theathletic.com slash Philly. Subscribe if you if you haven't. Late in that game, it, it felt like Butler. The way Kemba was beating him was by getting a screen from Embiid's man, and Embiid was too far back in the paint, or or not just flat out not paying attention sometimes. And Cody Zeller was setting good screens, but one on one, Butler was doing a really good job against Kemba. And again, I think that's the comparison to Covington a little bit in that sometimes Covington, although he played Kemba pretty well. I think his his we, the weaker part of his defense is one on one defense. Butler to me seems a little bit more consistent one on one, and then you end up seeing it last night with the tremendous block at the end of the game. I mean the the save he had the save that ball over his head. I know like when you're a kid they say don't save the ball under your own basket. F that that was amazing. <laughs> he scoffed at that. And it was both amazing and risky. I think we can. I think we can acknowledge both. Sure, but but it, but it worked. So I'm gonna just say it's amazing. I'm not even gonna <laughs> acknowledge that risk. We're uh, we're results oriented business now. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was just a very impressive athletic play, and then to hit the jumper on the other end. You know, it, it it's been it's been impressive so far. I think uh, a lot of the reason for skepticism is how he would sort of fit with the Sixers in terms of chemistry and locker room and all that stuff. That seems to be going great so far, although I think we can couch that with it's only the first week, and I'm sure he was great in Minnesota the first week too. I, I loved Butler after Orlando. He's like, man, we all get along together. And it's like, well, yeah, you've, you've known him for like 12 hours. Like, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. How many times did he subtweet after the Utah game? Not subtweet. <laughs> yeah. Just, just I guess. Man, I can talk to him. Yeah. Oh, my God. He was throwing so much shade at Utah. They don't take it personally. It's amazing. <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah. All right, a real quick word from one of our sponsors, Harry's. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, which means we're about to enter the silly season of holiday shopping, and guys can be particularly difficult to find gifts for. As someone who's been using Harry's razors for years, let me help take some of that burden off your shoulders and recommend Harry's as a perfect gift, a gift that's both thoughtful and practical while not resorting to stereotypical ties or wallets that he probably doesn't need any more of anyway. Harry's makes long-lasting quality products at a super reasonable price, with German-engineered blades that cost as little as $2 each, which means you can get him a gift he can use now and one that will continue saving him money down the line. You can even personalize it and make it feel special with the option to choose a color that's right for him and the bil- and the ability to add a personal engraving. With gift sets starting at just $10 and a 100% quality guarantee, Harry's is a gift you can't go wrong with. As a special offer for the fans of the show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including our limited edition holiday sets when you go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat. Plus, you'll get free shipping. This offer is for new and returning customers and is only available for the holidays. 
Each Harry's shaving set comes with an ergonomic weighted handle with an option to engrave. German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, foaming gel for a rich lather, a travel cover to protect your blades, and a handsome holiday gift box. Or, if you just want something for yourself, redeem a holiday's trial offer to experience the quality of shave before committing. Get your holiday shopping done early. Free shipping ends on December 12th, so act now. Go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat to get $5 off a shave set while supplies last. That's harrys.com slash sixersbeat. All right, one of the points you brought up was Jimmy Butler drawing the other team's best defender. And, you know, again, this is not against Covington. Like, I would rather have Covington here alongside of Butler than have Covington be gone. But he would frequently draw the other team's worst defender. And they would hide their, their their weakest defender, a lot of times their shortest defender, yep. on Covington because he couldn't he couldn't make anybody pay. And having someone in Butler who you can't do that with, in fact you have to do the exact opposite of that with, I think it does free up you know, JJ Reddick quite a bit. And you look in the half court and like you said, it was all either an Embiid post up or an Embiid Reddick two man game. Well now you can throw in Jimmy Isos and Jimmy Embiid pick and rolls into that mix and even a little bit of Jimmy Ben Simmons pick and rolls, which they're 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 playing with a little bit. You just have a lot more that you can go to. Um, he does move pretty well off the ball. That will help with with Simmons. You know, I, when this trade was made, I thought the fit concerns with Embiid were overblown pretty drastically. Like I thought Jimmy Butler could really help Joel Embiid, and I thought Joel Embiid and the attention he gets as a role man could really help Jimmy Butler. The concern was with Ben Simmons. And I think there's been a little bit of that that is borne out to be true. You know, he obviously played extremely well last night, but before then he looked very t- tentative, didn't know where to find his spots. When he did try to find his spots, it seemed like he was really trying to attack the post, and that wasn't really working out for him. What do you think about the fit between those two so far? Yeah, well, I, it Ben played well last night, but, yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a tricky fit, but... Overall, I think Ben Simmons in the half court with a lot of people are tricky fits, unless they're just spot-up shooters or like Bellinelli or Redick running off screens. So, yeah, I do think there's going to be a, a little bit of you – know, they're going to have to work some stuff out there. The uh, I will say defensively, those guys look pretty impressive together. I mean, they can, they can switch like Covington and Simmons can, uh, and, and Butler, he has he's already found a way – like. When uh when he was gu- he was guarding Kemba last night, when the Sixers got a rebound, Butler was and he's done this in in all the games. He just sprinted down the floor, and Simmons had no problem just just throwing that ball ahead to uh to Butler to try and post up Kemba on a mismatch. And they actually they got some buckets. Uh, I think somebody made a corner three as as I think it was Shamit as a as a direct result. It's it's tricky. I you know I I don't think. You know, I don't think Ben is going to be used to, you know, Jimmy and, and and Joel having the ball in their hands all the time. So, so that's going to take some work. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to make some nice like cuts and, and passing plays. There was the uh, on that Butler drive when he found Simmons for the dunk. That was a really well timed cut off the ball by Simmons. They, they're going to need to do more of that because, yeah, it's it's not the the easiest fit. I, I think. The hope for those two is that their basketball IQ, and you know, a lot was made about that that sideline out of bounds play against Utah, where where Simmons lobbed the ball up 
to Butler to kind of seal the game. You're going to need plays like that where their basketball IQ and they, they kind of know where each other are going. Because, yeah, the uh, the shooting fit with Ben off the ball is not the easiest thing in the world to deal with. You know, this is where you start. The lack of progress in Simmons' jump shot in the, what are we at, like 30 months now since he's been drafted. And, yeah, he was injured for part of that, but, I mean, that was a lower body injury. They could have they could have gotten – he could have gotten some shots up there. He has to make progress on that, and he's just he's made he's made none. He might be he might have gone back as a shooter. Looks a little more conf- confident from the free throw line, but as an in-game shooter, he might be more hesitant than he was at LSU, and certainly more hesitant than he was in high school. And a lot of that goes into the quality of the defenders, speed of the game, distance of the three-point shot, all that stuff. But he just has not made any real, provable, demonstrable progress in his jump shot, and that's so hard. And on the one hand. So a lot of people looked at this trade and said, oh, well, that means Ben Simmons is a point guard. I've always thought you need to make him not the point guard. He's, he's a point forward. And this is my least favorite discussion in all of basketball. Um, those designations are r- ridiculous or pointless. They, they really mean nothing. In terms of being a point guard, Ben Simmons is always going to be the one that Brett Brown is going to give, you know, inbounding the ball. He's going to give it to him to break the press. And... It, you know, nowadays, it seems like we define point guards by pick and roll play. Um, so if Ben can't do that, he's not a point guard. I, I just don't, you know, I, in t- if we're going to have to throw a label out there, I'm going to defend it a lot based off of ability to read what's happening around him, handle the ball, and make decisions. And Ben is still the quote-unquote point guard. But you always looked at his skill set and you said, okay, well, he's not going to be a great pick and roll player, at least not until he gets a, a willing and capable jump shot. You need that skill set to surround him with. So... That's Markel's role. That's why he was drafted. They always drafted. They didn't draft him to be the off guard or the two guard or whatever designation you want to throw out there. They, they, he, he was really good with the ball in his hands at Washington. And they wanted that next to Ben Simmons. So this was always the kind of adjustment they were going to have to make. Like Ben Simmons was always going to have to learn how to play with the ball in his hands less frequently than he was accustomed to. And a lot of what he did in the half court at LSU was out of the mid post. And they're trying some of that now, but that's not that's not the sustainable offense it was at college when he had a size advantage on everyone who you they even thought of throwing at him. So you are going to run a lot of two man games with Embiid and Reddick. You are going to run a lot of two man games with Butler and 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 Embiid. And finding a way for Simmons to not kill your spacing and also to provide value, it is going to be a very real adjustment. I do believe that. It's tough, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. On the uh, on the positive side, I, I was thinking about this last night, and you know, you're, you're one of the few people who I knew back in the Doug Collins era. But if anybody remembers, you know, at the end of games, at the end of those kind of torturous Sixers games, they'd basically just run ISO for Lou Williams at the end. And I think back then, all of us would usually scream, "Run a play" or, or something. Well, now we're kind of on the other extreme, where all the Sixers do is run plays at the end of games. The problem is it's either the two-man game or or something else where there's kind of a lot of moving parts, and, and that's how you see these. I, I think I think it was on an MB post up, and then the the sideline out of bounds play, just two at, at the end of the Orlando or uh, last night's game against Charlotte. 
just two inexplicable turnovers by Embiid and Simmons at the end. It, it is kind of nice to just be able to say, like, all right, Jimmy, just just run a pick and roll, or or like, dude, we're right. just we're just isoing you. Like, we'll get the last shot. It'll, you know, it'll be a decent shot, and we're willing to live with the results. It, uh, I think that was good, and, and I do think like early on, just trusting him with that was a good sign. The, uh, it, it, it's just easier, man. Like, it, it, it's like you said last night. If the Sixers had played uh, with their old roster, Walker would have been guarding Covington. He just would have. And Cove might have had, you know, 15, 17 points. But it really would have just been by shooting over Walker. It really wouldn't have been taking advantage of that mismatch. You could see last night, like, Walker was guarding Mascala and and Chandler. And while those guys didn't do a good job at all against him, like, I, I do think it's going to put a level of of kind of confusion in other teams. And then, yeah, I mean, Jim, Jimmy shot at the end of the game. That's uh. That's it's why you brought him here. You, you, there aren't that many players who you could give the ball to in that spot and feel like comfortable. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll live with this shot. He can create it, and uh, and we'll we'll go down with him. And he delivered, and that was uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and it really is. You know, Brett Brett said the other day in Orlando that you know that kind of a play, whether that was a Butler ISO which they went to last night, or a, a late pick and roll. They didn't have that personnel. They just flat out didn't. And Markel sort of kind of showed flashes of that when he could get to the rim, but you're not going to ask him to do that on a last-second shot. So Brett is adapting. I do would still like to see them run some late-game Embiid Reddick stuff. Like, I don't want them to abandon what yeah, in there. Yeah, mix that in. Yeah, and they did that against Orlando. It's just Reddick's big feet stepped out of bounds. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to – like, they're, trust me, they're not, not going to lead the league in pick-and-rolls and isos. Uh, that is not – you know, part, part of them having the fewest pick-and-rolls was that they didn't have the personnel. Part of it was that Brett Brown, it's not his preferred style of play. So I think in the first 45 minutes of a game, you're probably going to see them run more pick-and-rolls, but they're not going to change their offense overnight. I think where it's really going to come down, you you will see some isos, you will see some – some, you know, Embiid, Butler, two-man games is going to come at the end of games when they want to simplify it. Um, I hope he doesn't go the full Doug Collins. Uh, that was, like you alluded to, that was ugly to watch. You never go full Doug uh, Collins. This, this is a, a better combination than, you know, Evan Turner, Thaddeus Young, so I'll give them that. Uh, they should look better. But, or or Spencer Hawes, you could, you could throw him in there. Doesn't help the aesthetics of it, but you could throw him in there. Um but it it is great it is great to have options uh, for sure. Yeah, he's uh it, it's exciting. I, I don't know they have not had uh, somebody said like when is the last time they had a wing player like this? Is it is it just Iverson? Even though he's not like Butler really that much. I no, mean, no. I mean, Iguodala certainly wasn't. No, he I mean, just wasn't. We were both good. big Iguodala fans. No. I mean, are we going back to, like, Andrew Tony or somebody? Yeah, I mean, <coughs> sorry, I'm, I'm I'm getting over. Not as bad as I was in Orlando, but I'm getting over something. He was bad in Orlando, folks. Bad. I was pretty bad. Um, you certainly know into the level of of Jimmy Butler. Like, you, you could throw, like, Larry Hughes in there, but he was the worst version that you could possibly find. Uh, nobody to this level, for sure. Yeah, so it's uh, 
it's been a good start. I know, uh, you know, last night, I think Brett kind of said there are kind of many defining moments during a season. And, you know, I, I kind of initially thought about Jake Elliott kicking that 61-yarder against the Giants. You didn't know it was going to happen. At, the, at that point, it was going to be like the springboard to a Super Bowl. And I'm not saying the Sixers are going to win the Eastern Conference Championship, but their schedule is about to get a lot easier. And and making that shot and, and kind of, you know, finally winning that game. It, honestly, last night, didn't it feel exactly like the Detroit game earlier this year? Yeah, yep. It was just instead of Blake, Kemble was the guy going off. So to so to steal that game, and by the way, I, I think this is a a smaller note. The Sixers winning that game from a rest standpoint was crazy. That was on a, on ESPN's schedule alert column. Sixers, most games in the league, fifth back-to-back, playing on the road against a team that had not played since Tuesday night. And they still found a way to get that done. That's that's pretty cool. But, yeah, with the schedule becoming easier, they'll have some time to practice. They'll have some time to rest up. Jimmy will, you know, he'll become more familiar with, with the offense and just, just all of his teammates. I do think they have a chance to run off some wins here. Yeah, and you look up at the, at the standings. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference. They're ahead of Boston. Um, they're standing at 11-7 and right now with a perfect 8-0 ro- home record. Uh, which is pretty incredible, but it would be nice to see a little more uh, on the road. And they're just kind of getting all of their pieces, both you know, in uniform in the gym and back healthy. You know, Wilson Chandler still on a minutes restriction. He had a 15 minute limit last night, and and Brett didn't use him at all in the first half, and used all of them in the in in, in the second half. Um, Mike Muscala is still wearing a mask. <laughs> He's not playing up to the level I think most people expect him to or hope he will. Jimmy Butler, his third game, uh, and and really has kind of looked a little deferential at times. Even when he drops his 28, it's because he was nearly perfect from the field. Uh, There are opportunities for Butler to do more from an aggressive standpoint. So you hope that this is a team that sort of, you know, weathered that maybe slightly disappointing play to start the season turn it around and now will remain towards the top of the Eastern Conference throughout. And, you know, they still need some depth. Certainly, I don't think that they're comfortable playing as great as he's played. And I think he's been a surprise, but I don't think they want Korkmaz getting as much time as he's getting right now. The Cork uh, is popping. Personally, though. I want, he's, he's popping every game, man. It's a, it's a celebration every night. Um, <laughs> I don't think I want Mike Muscala playing as much for as he currently is, but you're sort of low on options of perimeter players to, you know, kind of do that small ball that I think they should pursue and that Brett Brown probably doesn't necessarily want to pursue because he's always shied away from that a little bit. But, you know, I would like to see far less Amir Muscala lineups. I would like to see Joel Embiid not playing 35 to 38 minutes every night. So you hope they can find some depth. But in terms of top-end talent, when you look at one through four, and I think it's a little bit disrespectful to J.J. Redick to never include him in these conversations. Totally. Like, we always talk about, oh, look at the Sixers' big three. got three of the top 20 players in the league, and maybe we could probably quibble with that. Probably three of the top 30 players in the league. And to not include J.J. Redick ever in that conversation, especially with how important his role is to the team and how important his skill set is to the team, you know, that top four can match up with a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference. And you still got to kind of figure out that fifth spot. Is it going to be Wilson Chandler? Throughout, um, 
but you have a really good top four. You address that depth. You get these guys on the same page. You get Jimmy Butler knowing the entire playbook. You get Ben Simmons a little more comfortable in his new role offensively. This team has a has a lot of potential. And look, as frustrating as it is, maybe that Ben Simmons isn't always playing as as a quote unquote top three right now. He's still an elite defensive player, and I think a lot of times that sort of gets lost. Like, if he can find a way to not hurt your half-court offense while being an elite transition pusher and an elite uh, an elite defensive player, and a versatile defensive player, that I, don't sleep on Ben Simmons is what I would say. Yep, but as we discussed, fitting him into the half-court is, honestly, I think it might be Brett's toughest job right now. Th- yeah. That, if you told me, like, what one thing is going to determine how far the Sixers go this season – you know, besides, like, Embiid playing at an MVP level or whatever, I, I do think, like, that's going to affect everything else. And, and finding a way for Ben to coexist with Butler and Embiid. And, and now, like, you know, I, I think a lot of the conversation earlier, early in the year has been, well, how does he coexist with Fultz? Well, now he has the, the fit concerns, but the the talent of the players and the effectiveness of the players has jumped up a bunch of notches. So... Yeah, what do you? Uh, it's interesting. I, I the Amir Mescala lineups drive me insane. That said, like, what what do you think are some ways to remedy that? I mean, they, they've only played. I mean, they played sixty minutes together at this point, and have not been very successful. I, I just, you know, with Wilson on a fifteen minute restriction, like I, I don't know exactly what the answer is. I do think. You know, some of Brett's rotations, I know that that has been a, a source of frustration to some Sixers fans. I also do wonder, though, like, is this team deep enough to have, like, you know, I don't really see any players on the bench who are who are not playing, like maybe Jonah Bolden, who uh, who deserve those minutes. Uh, I, I would say the one thing, though, stop playing Amir and Mescala together. Just Just find a way. Like, seriously, play Simmons at the four. Or something, but I, I've, I've had enough of those two guys together. You can't score with those two guys. Yeah, I mean, in my perfect world, Ben Simmons would be probably the second tallest player on the Sixers uh, lineup pretty much the entire time he's on the court. And in the minutes when he's not, you know, you try to mix in maybe Wilson Chandler at that spot. Um, not a whole lot of big man depth outside of that, but I, I would try to limit two traditional big men on the floor as much as I could. But in order to do that, you need wing players and perimeter players who justify that. And when you look at it, like I said, Korkmaz and Shamit are the two you would typically turn to off the bench. Are any of them right now really deserving of more minutes where you would you would kind of make push those push Ben Simmons up the lineup? You know, I'm not I think this is where who they target with that fifteenth roster spot, who they target in the buyout market, is going to have a a pretty big impact on that because a lot of people are going to look at it, Chris Sheridan included, they need more power forward depth. And I don't see that at all. Like, that's just not how I view the sport of basketball. It's not how I view this roster construction. That's not how I view Ben Simmons' versatility defensively and how you can maximize that. So, to me, you go out and, look, maybe the best player available is a four, and you can put him alongside... Embiid and Amir and, and, and Muscala when he's playing the five. Maybe that's the case. But I certainly, I would just be looking for the best player, the best shooter, 
and let those kind of resolve itself. But yeah, I don't. Amir Muscala lineups don't. Uh, they don't. To be honest, Muscala at the four at all doesn't do a whole lot for me. He just doesn't have the foot speed to where I enjoy those lineups. To where I think that's maximizing your defensive potential, and I would like to see them minimize that. And by the way, they can't score offensively either. Yeah, it's just not not a good fit. And I, I totally agree with you that. You know, with Simmons, you have the versatility to play different lineups. So if it is a four and it's a stretch four, go ahead and get them if he's the best player. Uh, but if it's like a, a smaller wing who can just stroke the hell out of the ball, well, okay, well then just bump Ben Simmons up a little bit. And that's that's kind of the beauty of him being able to play all of those positions. I uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's this team coughs up a 20-point lead, it seems like, every night. But that that's kind of what happened last year, too, at this time. So, I don't know. It's 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 tough. It, it feels like, to me, recently, they've given up those leads when Embiid has been in the game. But it's been with, like, Shamit and Korkmaz and... And some of these other players, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been with the starters. And I, I don't I, I don't know what the answer is because it's like you said the, the only other player I'm really comfortable playing at the four right now besides Simmons is Wilson Chandler. And yeah. a he's in the starting lineup, which means a lot of his minutes overlap with Ben. And b he's on a minutes restriction most nights. I think you know I, a lot of people were were wondering why he got taken out of the game in Orlando. He he kind of blew past his minutes limit yep. already that night. So that was uh even even though he was playing well, I think they it was kinda like the, the night Embiid kicked the chair a few years ago, like he was past it and they were like, ah, all right, we got we gotta stop this now. Yeah, I I have no doubt that if he wasn't on that you know, here's that a, a twenty minute restriction, I think that was about minute twenty three. I have no doubt if he wasn't on a restriction he would have finished that game. Uh, I don't I don't think that's one you can really throw on on Brett and uh you know rotation outrage. I don't think that is the case there. It's tough though. I they uh, it's hard. It's hard. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I do think he. Uh, what do you think of the job Brett's done so far this year? Just in general. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's been great. You know, and I think part of that is the Amir Muscala lineup. Like, I I just I don't fundamentally like that. I do think they have switched at times when I don't think they should. But I think you mean, a lot of you mean times, when Muscala is playing the four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now other switches too. Like I think they're just a little too switch. Like I, I think there are matchups you don't have to switch them. They end up switching, and it leads to mismatches. You don't need to need to leave. Um, the the and you pointed out like Vooch was killing him, but the Augustine Vucevic pick and roll specifically, I thought they could have handled better. And that's just the one that's fresh on my mind. Um. You know, but I think by and large we grade coaches based on results. Like last night when Ben Simmons made that that turnover, that pass to Embiid, that lob, I got a lot of like, well, how could you call that play? I'm like, no, J.J. Redick was sprinting to the top of the key. Like he had options. That play was designed with options. He took the wrong one. Um, And I think a lot of times, you know, like, like Orlando, do we have that outrage if J.J. Reddick doesn't step on a three-point line? Or if J.J. Reddick doesn't get called for a bullshit offensive foul call? Like, I think there were a lot, especially when I went back and I rewatched it, I thought they got a lot of good looks. I thought they had a lot of plays drawn up well, and none of them materialized. But I don't think they were bad decisions. So I think, you know, I think probably average is kind of what I would say. 
Yeah. Like, I don't think they have made the most of their talent yet, but I don't think Brett is the reason they got off to a slow start either. Um, and like I said, I think a lot of times with coaches, it's a, it's a results-oriented criticism. I think that's a good way to put it. After last night's game, it, it, I do think Jimmy uh, making that, that nice three at the end of the night saved us from a lot of Brett hate at the end of the uh, – the end of the game, and that's that's probably the wrong way to look at it because you know there was 48 minutes and then a whole overtime period before that to judge him on, kind of similar to the Orlando game. Yeah, I, I do think he, uh, he he has his work cut out. The and the Amir thing, I, I just 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 play Mescala at the five would be my <laughs> th- th- that would be my main criticism. The uh, yeah. I, I think I'll, there are some people who don't like his offense and. You know, we'll see. I that's something I'm willing to look at over time. You know, you know, how does Butler fit in? You know, where do they end up ranked? Do they? Brett kind of talks a lot about how he values the system, and he pointed to the Miami game on that road trip as <laughs> as an example of like the system staying in place, kind of like a Spurs type thing. You can just plug guys like Corkmaz in. You can plug guys like Bolden in, and they know what to do. You know, you know, we'll see how that that happens, or we'll see if that is the best kind of offense in the long run. But yeah, I think that's that's a fair way to put it. I think he's been about average. Yeah, and look, I mean, he's. I think I think they've they've adjusted to Butler pretty well here in the first three games. My other main criticism was I just don't think Fultz was in a position where he should have started the season, and I didn't think they were ready to really even try to grow and evaluate Fultz and Simmons as a pairing, and they backed off of that pretty quickly which I think was the right move. So yeah, I mean it's it's we'll see. This is I mean honestly this is the biggest like we you kind of go through stages of evaluating Brett. The first 3 years he was here it's is he developing guys? Is he keeping the locker room together through really unprecedented losing? Okay, he passed that. But you'd say like okay, well is he a good coach? Well, we don't really know that yet. So we'll find out when he gets some talent. And then he comes out they play well in Embiid's rookie season. He gets hurt. They come out and they over, over, overachieve in Embiid's first full season. And you say, okay. Like, he, the team overachieved. A coach has to get credit for that. Well, now they've got real legitimate, at least Eastern Conference contending core. Now he's going to be reevaluated in a different context. And I think Brett's a smart basketball coach. I think he has a lot of good ideas. I think his clubhouse loves him. Do I know that he's a top five to seven coach in the NBA? No, I don't. And I mean, it's, it's, I don't consider that disrespectful. Like there's just, there's a lot of really good freaking coaches in the NBA, but I'm pretty confident he's also not in the bottom 10 coaches in the NBA. So I think right now we'll be figuring out where exactly in that range he falls and whether he has the capability of moving into that top five to top seven range. And we just don't have enough information right now. Did we really go 34 minutes without talking about faults? The, uh, (laughs) I do think his uh, – just a quick take on him because I think it's been nice to kind of not mention him for a while. Even with the you know, very strange free throw shooting, <laughs> I think that's – we'll just leave that there. Uh, just a, a quick like tip of the cap. He is attacking the rim like crazy and playing really yes, hard. Yes, he is. So good on you, Markel. Hopefully – Hopefully you can figure out whatever is ailing you at the line. But I, I do think as, as a backup point guard, he has done some legitimately cool things. And 
the freaking pull up jumper looks good. It does. And he's he's playing some legitimately good defense too, which yep. considering where he started the season at, that is a huge step in his development. He is playing almost as well as you could expect a six foot four point guard play when he can't and won't shoot outside of the paint. And that sounds a little bit like a backhanded compliment, but I really don't mean it to be the case. Like he is playing much better in every facet of the game that does not involve shooting ball outside of the paint. Cool. What uh And I I I hope one day, I really, really hope one day we don't have to couch it with that. Um but we do. Uh, and that's another one where the lack of progress is concerning. And whatever is at the center of that, I hope they figure out and address. Because I do think there's a talented kid in there. I've always said that. And I think he's showing more of his talents on an NBA court. And I hope this isn't the one thing that defines his career. Agreed. What uh, is there? Is there anything else we haven't hit? Yeah, we have to talk about Joel Embiid's hand. Um, But before we do that, let's talk quickly about DraftKings. We've all had that one atrocious fantasy draft that ruins your entire season, right? If you're a responsible fantasy player, you probably still pop in once a week. Set your lineups just for the integrity of the league. But you've all but lost interest because your high draft pick got hurt or the rookie that you bet on turned out to be a dud. It doesn't have to be that way. And playing one-day fantasy basketball at DraftKings is the best way to put your knowledge of basketball to the test. DraftKings is giving away over $400 million in prizes this season. That's a lot of Jimmy Butlers. No matter what your skill level is, there's a contest waiting for you at DraftKings. Drafting your team is simple. Just select eight players and stay under the $50,000 salary cap. The best part is you get to draft your new team every day without a long-term commitment. There's no better way to turn your love of basketball into cash. To download the app, head on over to DraftKings.com now and use our code SIXERS to support the show and enter a free contest with your first deposit. And remember, there will be over $400 million in total prizes up for grabs throughout the season. That's code SIXERS to play for free with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, so how worried are you about Joel Embiid's hand? How weird was that? I so so it, it has been said to me, or I think a reader wrote this that they thought the Memphis game was when he first kind of reaggravated it. I, I got to go back and look at the video of it, but it would make sense. He uh, he has not shot the ball well in, I guess four out of the or yeah four or uh, three out of the five games. Since then, it's or a four out of the five. Sorry, he, uh, you know, even with last night's hot start, he was. I think he was pretty bad for him in the second half of last night's game. I don't know. I mean, God, and then he brings up that it's going all the way back to playing against Phoenix last year. That was New Year's yeah. Eve, man. Think about all the basketball he, he's played since then. And he was pretty direct in saying that he's kind of been dealing with it. Like, they've been finding ways to manage it. It didn't sound like this is a complete re-aggravation either, which is just it mind-blowing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what were you doing all summer then? You know, is this something that would have required surgery? I know, you know, they, they've talked about how, you know, what a great summer he had, and it seems like 
from a fitness standpoint and, you know, working on a lot of his skills, that's true. But, I mean, shit, if his hands hurt him, like, should you have addressed that? I I don't even know. It's uh, And all the explanation we got last year was that he had a sprained right hand and he played through it. Like, the x-rays were negative. How could something like this, and I'm not a doctor and we probably have to talk to him if this continues, for that to linger for 11 months now, like, that is... Yeah, I think hopefully it was more like a misspeak, and he, you know, basically sprained the same hand again, and it hasn't lingered, and it isn't like uh, something they've been having to manage too hard over the intervening eleven months here, because that is that was a, a huge curveball. And you're right, he's come out, especially the last two games, really strong starts. You know, over the last forty three minutes of play, I think he shot like two for fifteen against the Magic. Didn't look himself in the second half of. Uh, of the game last night, and maybe that's just conditioning. Like maybe, like you said, they've played a lot of games. They've done a lot of travel. They've played a lot of back-to-backs. I think they've played almost half of their back-to-backs already. He might still lead um, the NBA in minutes, which is crazy. Yeah. So good for him. So maybe these struggles are just that. But you really hope this isn't something that's going to bother him all year long. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to be the Bill Simmons body language doctor, but he he wanted to get that out after the Utah game. Like, you could tell. He was like, man, this is hurting me. It's uh, it's not great. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like, my hand is really swollen right now. And, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what it involves because he comes back and plays last night, and he starts, I mean, that first quarter was just as good as it gets from him. You know, you know what is the type of, of pain management that this requires. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, I am a uh, – for something that wasn't even on my radar last week, it's uh, it's fairly concerning right now. It's something that you definitely have to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yep. All right. I think that's probably about all I have. That's it. I have one request right. for everybody. The uh, – Somebody find a way to get the uh, the Goodfellas Jimmy scene on uh, a GIF or a video. Try and I don't know. Try and be creative. The, the Phillies they did that when Jimmy Rollins hit the uh, hit the double in the 2009 NLCS. Oh, Bro- Broxton. Yep. 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 Let's let's see if we can get one of those. I, I would I will retweet. I would love to see that. <laughs> it's uh it's pretty good. I don't know. Maybe maybe get Zumoff's call on the on the radio in Goodfellas. I don't know. That's all I that, got. Uh, that, that Phillies one was done perfectly. That, that was very well done. I've enjoyed that for many years. So I agree with you there. All right, I think it's time to wrap it up. Rich, avoid those ice cream machines if you can, and have a good one. <laughs> Get better, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. It's a slow roll, but I'll try. All right, see ya. See ya. Contacted, I attract clientele. My mic check is.